evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. President Biden today had his second solo press conference, just a day before the one-year anniversary of his inauguration. He was pressed by reporters on whether he needs to scale down his promises. Russia is sending more troops toward Ukraine's border and the U.S. is sending millions to help with defense. Today, Secretary of State Antony Blinken visited Ukraine and warned that Putin could launch an attack on very short notice. Senator Todd Young tells NTD why this is concerning for Americans. GOP lawmakers demand answers about the FDA's approval process for Pfizer's booster shot for kids. They want to know why the agency bypassed its usual advisory committee before authorizing the shot. Most U.S. commercial planes are approved to fly again after many flights were canceled this morning. Airlines are concerned about the new 5G cell service interfering with landings. But the Federal Administ Aviation Administration issued a go-ahead this afternoon. Boston Celtics center Ennis Cantor Freedom speaks out about China. His social media message? The response to former NBA player Yao Ming's invite overseas. President Biden today had his second solo press conference just a day before the one-year anniversary of his inauguration. It comes as the latest polls show his job approval ratings hitting new lows. NTD's Steve Lance has more. The past year has been filled with setbacks for President Biden. I know there's a lot of frustration and fatigue in this country. A resurgence of COVID, inflation reaching a 39-year high, voting bills under partisan rancor, foreign policy challenges looming large, his approval rating falling below 40 percent. But the president says it's all a year of progress. We went from 2 million people being vaccinated at the moment I was sworn in to 210 million Americans being fully vaccinated. Thanks to the bipartisan infrastructure bill, we're about to make a record investment in rebuilding America to take us to be the number one best infrastructure in the world. With the midterm elections less than 10 months away, Biden and Democrats are continuing to try and pass the Build Back Better agenda. If price increases are what you're worried about, the best answer is my Build Back Better plan. Biden will give his first State of the Union on March 1st. And despite promising words during opening remarks, President Biden faced questions from reporters on whether his promises are increasingly proving to be unrealistic. Look, I didn't overpromise. That's President Biden on Wednesday, pressed by reporters on whether he needs to scale down his promises, many of which now seem unrealistic. He insisted. But I have probably uh, outperformed what anybody thought would happen. He also accuses Republicans of acting as roadblocks to his success. I actually like Mitch McConnell. We like one another, but he has one straightforward objective. Make sure that there's nothing I do that makes me look good in the, in the mind, in his mind, with the public at large. Despite promising to get big chunks of his Build Back Better plan passed, upon pressed on how, he admits that it'll need to be broken up. Break the package up, get as much as we can now, and come back and fight for the rest later. Meanwhile, Biden didn't respond directly when asked if the 2022 election will be legitimate. The increase in the prospect of being illegitimate is a direct proportion of us not being able to get these, these reforms passed. And he cites ending an expensive war in Afghanistan when asked about his administration's competence in the first year. There is no way to get out of Afghanistan after 20 years easily. And I make no apologies for what I did. A recent CBS News poll shows 75% of Americans feel the country was doing somewhat or very badly in general. But Biden says he doesn't understand how people could believe the country is not moving in the right direction. The Senate is scheduled to vote on the Democrats' election reform bill later tonight. It's expected to fail because of a Republican filibuster. It takes 60 votes to break the filibuster and advance the bill, which is impossible to do without Republican support in an evenly split Senate. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says in that case, he will hold a vote to change the rules to have what he calls a talking filibuster. 
That means senators who want to filibuster the bill must speak on the Senate floor. After the speeches, the Senate would vote on the bill again, and this time it could pass with only a simple majority. But even the proposal for a talking filibuster is expected to fail, since Democratic Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema have said that they are not willing to change the rules. And the White House will be distributing 400 million N95 masks for free starting next week. This comes as the CDC updates its guidance on masks. The agency now says that N95 and KN95 masks offer the most protection against COVID-19. The masks will come from the government's strategic national stockpile, which has more than 750 million such masks on hand. Americans will be able to pick up the N95s at pharmacies and community health centers across the country. The White House guarantees that there will be three masks available per person, but they didn't say whether the masks can be reworn, nor whether there will be smaller sizes for kids. This will be the federal government's largest distribution of free masks to the public since the pandemic began. And an article by NPR alleges that one of the nine Supreme Court justices attends court hearings virtually because of a maskless colleague. In a joint statement, Justices Neil Gorsuch and Sonia Sotomayor weighed in. They said that a report that claimed Sotomayor had asked Gorsuch to wear a mask surprised them and that it's false. The justices also said they're warm colleagues and friends. The statement came after allegations of tensions between the two appeared in an article written by NPR's Nina Totenberg. But the reporter didn't say that Sotomayor asked Gorsuch to wear a mask. She said Chief Justice Roberts in some form asked the other justices to mask up because Sotomayor felt unsafe around maskless people. But Roberts denies asking any justice to wear a mask on the bench. In a statement to NTD, NPR said they stand behind Totenberg's reporting. And U.S. officials are keeping a keen eye on escalating tensions overseas as Russia spends more, sends more troops towards Ukraine's border. Today, the Secretary of State visited Ukraine, warning officials that Putin could launch an attack on very short notice. Senator Todd Young tells NTD why this concerns Americans. He says our ability to trade and live freely could be impacted if other autocrats like Communist China feel emboldened to further encroach upon the free world. NTD's Melina Weiskup reports. A group of senators today highlighting their concern for the intense situation on the Ukraine border. And although this group was made up of all Republicans, they wanted to emphasize the fact that both parties, Republicans and Democrats, are unified with support behind Ukraine during this tense time. The president this morning met with some of these senators to discuss how they'll move forward to tackle this threat. Uh, this morning's briefing with the president was uh, informative and I think constructive. And, uh, and I think uh, at this point, the, uh, the message is loud and clear. The United States stands as one. Senator Todd Young tells us that the U.S. must show resolve handling Russian aggression to prevent other autocrats from feeling emboldened to encroach on the free world. If, if we allow Russia to do that in Ukraine, then Xi Jinping uh, will be inclined to do similar things as it relates to Taiwan and other territories. Uh, that fall outside of, of the People's Republic of China and other autocrats will also be incentivized. And that impacts regular Americans. Uh, that impacts our ability to trade, our ability to live freely, uh, and ultimately could find its way to our shores. So um, the United States has, has long been the protector of this uh, free, democratic, open order. And if we don't lead, no one else will. And this is a point Secretary of State Antony Blinken emphasized today as he visited Ukraine. It makes other countries think that they too can violate the rules of international peace and security and put their narrow interests ahead of the shared interests of the international community. Blinken is meeting with Russian officials later this week to urge Russia to de-escalate this as Putin sends more troops toward Ukraine. There's uh, additional uh, heavy military equipment that could be provided to uh, the Ukrainian military that has not yet been provided. Uh, the level of specificity on sanctions uh, needs to be clarified. And right now, a bipartisan group of senators is working on a bill to sanction Russia in the case that Putin does launch an attack. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskopf, NTD News. 
GOP lawmakers are demanding answers from the FDA. They want to know why the agency bypassed its usual committee approval process before authorizing the Pfizer booster shot for kids. NTD's Grace Coulter has the details. The Food and Drug Administration bypassed approval from its vaccine advisory committee when approving Pfizer's booster shot for kids ages 12 to 15. Now, over two dozen GOP lawmakers want to know why. According to Fox News, Republicans from both the House and Senate sent a letter to FDA Acting Commissioner Janet Woodlock Tuesday seeking answers. The lawmakers, led by Senator Ted Cruz and Representative Chip Roy, called the decision to forego the committee's approval extremely puzzling and, frankly, quite troubling. The Republicans wrote to Woodcock, children are still growing and developing, and these are relevant factors for consideration to ensure that this additional vaccine dosage is appropriate, especially as early teens in the 12 to 15 age group are at extremely low risk for death and hospitalization from COVID-19. The Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee was involved in the approval process of both the Pfizer and Moderna booster shots for adults. It's not clear why the committee wasn't involved in approving the Pfizer booster for kids, which the FDA approved on January 3rd. Republicans argue that when it comes to children getting the jab, many uncertainties remain. The lawmakers pointed to two non-peer-reviewed studies that suggest boys ages 12 to 17 who received the booster shot may have a higher risk of cardiac adverse events, such as heart inflammation. The World Health Organization's chief scientist said Tuesday that there's no evidence that healthy kids and teenagers need vaccine boosters. Grace Coulter, NTD News, New York. Starbucks is no longer requiring vaccine or weekly tests for its over 200,000 employees in the U.S. That's after the Supreme Court struck down President Biden's vaccine and weekly testing requirements for large businesses. The coffee giant said it will respect and comply with the court's ruling. But Starbucks did tell NTD News on a phone call that it's still encouraging all workers at its U.S. locations to get vaccinated. Some other large companies like General Electric have also suspended their vax mandates after the Supreme Court ruling. Meanwhile, Stanford University will be mandating that all its students receive a COVID booster by the end of this month. In opposition, a group of students delivered an open letter to the university and have an ongoing online petition demanding that the mandate be repealed. NTD's Jason Blair brings us more. Students at Stanford University started an online petition to repeal the school's booster mandate. The mandate was first announced in mid-December and will require all students to show proof of receiving a COVID-19 booster vaccine by January 31st, unless they qualify for an approved religious or medical exemption. I think that the decision to mandate boosters for, for all students really flies in the face of a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the evidence on the ground. Uh, and a lot of the things that we should be valuing as, a Stan as Stanford, as that community. Fisher, a PhD student at Stanford, started the petition. As of today, it has close to 1,800 signatures. Fisher says 95% of the students are reported to be vaccinated, and according to the numbers on the CDC website, the university's student demographic are already at low risk of serious illness from COVID-19. Uh, when you add on top of that the fact that boosters are not without risks themselves, right? there's a developing body of research about the risks associated with boosters, I thought it was irresponsible of Stanford to make that decision for its students instead of empowering its students to make their own decisions. E.J. Miranda, a representative from Stanford University, told NTD in response that their booster requirement is consistent with the advice of county and federal public health leaders. A high level of immunity within our student community will help us continue in-person educational activities and put us in a better position to deal with the risk of future variants. Fisher says one of the university's professors tweeted in support and overall the reaction has been very positive. I've gotten a lot of emails from parents, from students, from alumni, um, and from, from staff at Stanford right now um, who expressed their support. Currently, there are similar efforts happening at universities such as the University of Chicago, Cornell University in New York, and George Mason in Virginia. Jason Blair, NTD News, California.
Today, the Federal Aviation Administration issued new approvals that allow most U.S. commercial fleets to perform landings at airports that have the new 5G service. The approvals come as disputes over new 5G cellular service near airports are ongoing. NTD's Chenny Wu gives us the updates. Late Tuesday and early Wednesday, airlines rushed to cancel or change flights heading into the U.S. after the FAA and Boeing issued warnings that one of the most popular aircraft models in use, the Boeing 777, was particularly affected by AT&T and Verizon's new 5G service. The concern is that 5G signals used by AT&T and Verizon, when used near airports, could interfere with an aircraft's altimeter, an instrument that measures how far above the ground an aircraft is traveling. The instrument is crucial in low-visibility landings. The FAA has established temporary buffer zones around 50 airports, out of the around 20,000 airports in the U.S. Because of the 5G restriction, uh, there is the possibility during low-visibility uh, conditions that we may see diversions uh, come to Tampa International Airport. And so overnight, we leave uh, additional gates open in the event we need to uh, park aircraft that uh, are unable to land at those other airports. One of the most impacted airlines was Emirates, which operates the world's largest fleet of Boeing 777 airliners. Late Tuesday, the airline canceled all of its U.S. 777 service, nearly its entire U.S. schedule. Emirates CEO told CNN that this was one of the most delinquent, utterly irresponsible situations he has seen in his entire aviation career. Air France, however, said it would continue to fly its 777s into American airports. The airline did not give a reason for its decisions. New approvals released on Wednesday allow an estimated 62 percent of U.S. commercial airplanes to perform low-visibility landings at airports with 5G, including some Boeing 777s. But the FAA warned that even with these approvals, flights at some airports may still be affected. Based on currently available information, the resolution of these 5G issues sounds like it will be lengthy and gradual, taking place over weeks and months. In the meantime, passengers and shippers should expect delays and disruptions. As of Wednesday afternoon, hundreds of flights have been canceled. But this is still fewer than cancellations during the Christmas and New Year's travel season, which peaked at more than 3,000 a day. Chenny Wu, NTD News. Ray Epps, a man who encouraged protesters to enter the Capitol on January 6th last year, will speak under oath before lawmakers on Friday. Some suspect Epps is an FBI informant, but his lawyer denies the accusation. Epps' attorney, John Blischak, is a former FBI agent. He told the Epic Times that Epps will meet with the January 6th committee at his law offices. A spokesman for the House panel didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. Epps' lawyer says Epps has already spoken with the committee. He added that they were satisfied with Epps' answers, but due to the recent accusations, the panel is placing him under oath. Republican senators sought answers about Epps from national security officials last week. They asked if Epps was a Fed, but the officials said they couldn't answer. Despite being caught on camera encouraging protesters to enter the Capitol, Epps hasn't been charged and was removed from an FBI most wanted list. Inflation is rising at record rates and in 2021, inflation rose 7%. That's the highest increase over a 12-month period in 40 years. So what caused this significant increase and what can be done to curb the rise in prices? NTD's Jason Perry has more from economic experts. Two of the main factors that affect inflation are labor and energy. That's according to an online discussion led by experts at the Heritage Foundation on Tuesday. Rachel Gresler, a research fellow in economics, budget and entitlements, said the high inflation curve began during the pandemic when policymakers issued the $600 unemployment insurance payments. That resulted in two-thirds of unemployed workers collecting more money by not working. She also said 4.3 million workers have quit their jobs on average per month in the last four months. Replacing workers is extremely costly. It on average takes about six to nine months worth of a worker's salary to have the cost of finding a new worker and training them. So if you look at the quits this year compared to last year, employers have had to replace about 10 million additional workers. When you do the math, that increased their costs by about three to 4%, and there's no new value added to that. 
it's just a higher cost. So of course they're having to pass that on to customers. Energy is also a critical factor when it comes to inflation. Katie Tupp, a senior policy analyst for energy and environmental issues, said that in 2020, energy consumption was down 7% due to COVID-19 policy responses. And those in the conventional energy industry have a very uncertain future under the Biden administration. The administration uh, has used basically every regulatory toolbox, tool in the toolbox uh, to attack coal, oil, and natural gas, whether you're talking about the financing side of this, production or the consumption side of it. And so uh, if you're in those industries, I don't know why you would want to spend millions of dollars uh, investing in workers and infrastructure when this administration has said you have no future in this country. Tubb says the solution for this issue is to have less government-centered policies in the energy sector and allow for more customer choice and free competition. And for labor, Gresler says giving tax cuts to businesses will allow employers to increase wages in order to retain workers. Jason Perry, NTD News. The University of Michigan said it would pay $490 million to over 1,000 people to resolve claims of sexual assault. The 1,000-plus claims of sex abuse are against a former sports doctor at the university. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. After two years of negotiations with attorneys of the sex abuse victims, the University of Michigan has agreed to settle all claims of abuse by the late Dr. Robert Anderson. The allegations of abuse happened over decades, and out of the 1,050 sex abuse claims, the victims were mostly male athletes. A report by a firm hired by the school determined that Michigan staff missed many opportunities to stop Anderson over his 37-year career. The nearly half a billion dollar payout is pending approval by the school's Board of Regents and the courts, and $30 million will be placed in a reserve for unidentified victims who may come forward before July 31st, 2023. Jordan Acker, the chair of the Board of Regents, said in a statement that he hopes the settlement will begin the healing process for the survivors. Anderson was a physician for the Michigan football team and other athletic programs at the university, where he worked from 1966 until his retirement in 2003. He died in 2008. Parker Stenar, a lawyer representing some 200 claimants in the University of Michigan settlement, said he hoped the case would bring awareness of male survivors of sexual abuse because they are often viewed less sympathetically by society and can be reluctant to come forward. Jason Perry, NTD News, New York. Boston Celtics center Ennis Cantor Freedom has been outspoken in his criticism of human rights abuses in China. He responded to a request to visit China from former NBA star Yao Ming on social media today. I want to be very clear. I have nothing against Chinese people. My problem is with the cultish Chinese Communist Party and the brutal dictator Xi Jinping. I would like to come to China this summer and see everything with my own eyes. But on this trip, will we be able to visit the Uyghur slave labor camps or visit the innocent woman being tortured, raped, and abused? Will we get to see how the regime destroys bodies after harvesting their organs so there is no evidence or will you show me propaganda only? Freedom went on to ask if they could visit Taiwan, Tibet, and Hong Kong together and pointed out how Chinese communist rule, or the threat of it, has adversely affected them. And up next, New York State is sued over how it determines who receives a COVID drug that's in short supply. At issue, using a person's race and ethnicity as risk factors in a prioritizing treatment. And a Cleveland Browns football player is arrested, charged with attacking an officer and being naked in public. We've got a statement from his team. More on that when we return. New York State health officials say that a person's race and ethnicity are risk factors for contracting severe illness from COVID-19. That's why they're using these factors in prioritizing who receives monoclonal antibody treatments, which are in short supply. 
New York is now facing a lawsuit over the policy. NTD's Arian Pazdar has the details. New York officials say they have a severe shortage of monoclonal antibodies. They laid out instruction on who should get them, telling providers that racial minorities should be considered a group at risk. The directive from New York's Department of Health reads, non-white race or Hispanic Latino ethnicity should be considered a risk factor as long-standing systemic health and social inequities have contributed to an increased risk of severe illness and death from COVID-19. Now, America First Legal has filed a lawsuit after the department ignored a warning over the policy. They say that New York is deciding questions of life and death based on a New Yorker's ancestry and that no citizen should lose his or her life because the government of the state of New York or anywhere or at any level punished them because of the color of their skin. What do you think about New York State's practice regarding the monoclonal antibodies? I think it makes sense based on the fact that black and brown people are dying at a far greater rate from COVID than white people. Brandon Parent is an attorney and the director of transplant ethics at NYU Langone Health. He says he thinks the policy will be upheld in court. This is perhaps a form of affirmative action, which could be upheld on the grounds that uh, it is limited in scope and that there are not other workable non-race-based means to achieve the same end. America First Legal has a different opinion. According to them, this is outrageously illegal, unconstitutional, immoral and tyrannical. Chris Wilson is a professor of ethics and has a similar view. I su suspect that a lot of this will be declared uh, 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 unconstitutional to do that kind of a thing. You know, we'd have to see, but it strikes me that, that this is something that should be overturned. New York isn't the only state to use such measures. Minnesota had also made race a factor in distribution, but then changed its procedure after America First Legal threatened to sue them. Ariane Pastar, NTD News, New York. Calls for safe subway stations are getting louder in New York City. That's after a woman was pushed in front of an oncoming train over the weekend and died. There, here are some potentially life-saving tips on how to survive a fall onto the subway tracks. A lieutenant with New York City's fire department published a video on TikTok. She explained what to do if you get pushed onto the subway tracks. If you do get pushed on the tracks from the platform, um, it is a five-foot wall, so the only way you can get back up is if people on the platform are there to help you up. If no one is around to help you, you can walk to the end of the platform where the tunnel begins. There you'll find a ladder and another helpful tool. You should also see these blue lights where there will be a phone. You'll get connected to a subway dispatcher via that phone. The lieutenant also pointed out one deadly element that's on those tracks. So this is the third rail, that rail that's right up against this divider between the two um, directions on the subway. That is a very high voltage rail. Um, that's why it's covered, and that's why it should be avoided up. But she says if absolutely necessary, you can step over the third rail. That's because on the other side, you might find clearances in the wall that can save your life. Workers usually use them. They just stand right up against the notches, and a train can safely pass by them. And finally, if you do see someone on the tracks, you should try to help them back up. A man indecently exposing himself near a children's school sounds bad enough, but to then learn he's an NFL football player might make you wonder if this is a true story. Yet authorities say this is exactly what happened in Florida. NTD's Miguel Moreno has that story. Charged with beating a police officer and being naked in public, Cleveland Browns player Malik McDowell was arrested in Florida. Multiple media sources published graphic videos of the disturbance that took place on Monday. In those clips, McDowell can be seen in the nude, lying on a street, wandering, and later on getting arrested. According to a police report, officers responded to a naked male walking near a school. It then says McDowell charged at an officer, slammed him on the ground, and punched the officer's head twice. The football player fled but was eventually tased and handcuffed by the authorities. CBS reports that McDowell was later released on a $27,000 bond. 
McDowell's attorney says that someone may have slipped McDowell something or given him something he was unaware of, which could have led to the player's bizarre behavior. In a statement, the Cleveland Browns said, We are aware of the very concerning incident and arrest involving Malik McDowell and are in the process of gathering more information. We understand the severity of this matter and our thoughts are for the well-being of all involved. The 25-year-old player has been arrested before. TMZ Sports reported that McDowell pleaded guilty to assaulting an officer, resisting arrest, and driving while intoxicated in 2019. At the time, he was an NFL free agent. Miguel Moreno, NTD News. The Australian Open is finally underway this week after a fair amount of pre-tournament controversy regarding the world's top-ranked player. But without Novak Djokovic and the injured Roger Federer, who's expected to win? NTD's Dave Martin has more. Between Djokovic's nine titles and Federer's six, the duo have combined to win 15 of the last 18 Australian Open championships dating back to 2004. But with Djokovic's deportation and Federer's ongoing knee injury, the field is suddenly wide open. In fact, only one player in the entire men's field has ever won there before, Rafael Nadal 13 years ago. Let's take a look at the contenders. First up is Daniel Medvedev, the world's second-ranked player. He's fresh off his first Grand Slam title, beating Djokovic last September in the U.S. Open Finals. Medvedev, 25, also reached the Australian Open Finals last year, where he fell to Djokovic. Third-ranked Alexander Zverev has yet to win a Grand Slam, but has been knocking at the door lately, making the semis in three of the last five majors. The 24-year-old also lost to Djokovic in last year's Aussie Open, as well as at the U.S. Open, but seems due for a breakthrough. Stefano Tsitsipas has reached the semifinals in two of the last three Australian Opens, including a win over Federer in 2019. The 23-year-old is currently ranked fourth in the world and finished runner-up at the French Open last year for his best Grand Slam finish. Finally, there's Nadal, who's ranked fifth in the world. After winning there in 2009, he's made the finals four more times without taking home the trophy. The 35-year-old didn't win a Grand Slam last year for the first time since 2016. But with 20 major titles under his belt, he's always a threat. Dave Martin, NTD News, New York. Coming up, the Los Angeles Police Department today announced that they arrested a suspect in the killing of a UCLA grad student. The student was stabbed to death while she was working at a luxury furniture store last week. And California police announced today that they busted a fencing operation over the weekend and recovered approximately $185,000 worth of merchandise stolen from Bay Area retailers. Find out more in just a moment here on NTD News. On Wednesday, Los Angeles police arrested a suspect in the killing of a UCLA grad student. The arrest comes one day after the department announced a reward for information leading to his capture. On Wednesday, police arrested a suspect related to the death of UCLA grad student Brianna Kupfer, according to LAPD. The suspect, Sean Laval Smith, was taken into police custody. Officials had previously announced a $250,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of the suspect. Smith allegedly stabbed the 24-year-old Kupfer to death while she was working at a luxury furniture store last week. Brianna, who was born, educated, and was building her career here in Los Angeles, was a rising star in this community whose ascent was unnecessarily cut short by the actions of a heartless criminal last Thursday. Authorities reported that on Thursday, January 13th, Smith allegedly entered the store where Kupfer was working. She texted a friend that he gave her a bad vibe, but the friend didn't receive it in time. Kupfer was then attacked and left for dead, only to be found by another customer who called the police. My own daughter is not that much older than Brianna, and I can only imagine the heartbreak. Please take the time to hug and cherish your family today as Brianna would have wanted. LAPD identified the suspect through security camera footage. It showcases an individual with a distinctive backpack. A male, African-American, six foot to six foot five, thin build with short dreadlocks. Wearing a painter style 
of face covering. Local police arrested Smith in Pasadena City, Los Angeles County. LAPD confirmed Smith is in custody after he was arrested by Pasadena police. The California Highway Patrol announced Tuesday that officers arrested a suspect over the weekend who was in possession of an estimated $185,000 in designer handbags. Some of them came from a Louis Vuitton store in San Francisco Union Square, a recent target of smash-and-grab robberies. The California Highway Patrol's organized the Retail Crime Task Force busted a fencing operation on Sunday. They arrested a suspect and recovered over $180,000 in high-end merchandise, which were later identified as from many retailers throughout the Bay Area. According to officials from the Golden Gate Division of the task force, among the recovered stolen items were luxury handbags from the Louis Vuitton store at the Union Square in San Francisco. The Louis Vuitton store was hit in a brazen smash-and-grab robbery in November. Dozens of thieves made away with high-end items valued at hundreds of thousands of dollars. The suspect is currently being booked and charged with organized retail crimes. The California Highway Patrol is encouraging anyone to report organized theft incidents. The driver of a Tesla on autopilot is being charged for two counts of vehicular manslaughter. While using the autopilot function in 2019, he ran a red light, slammed into another car, and killed two people. 27-year-old Kevin George Aziz Riyadh is the first person in the nation to be charged with a felony for misuse of vehicular autopilot. He pleaded not guilty and is free on bail while the case is pending. The family of the two people killed is suing Riyadh for alleged negligence. In December of 2019, Riyadh's Tesla Model S was moving at a high speed when it exited from the freeway and ran a red light in the Los Angeles suburb of Gardena. The car struck a Honda Civic at an intersection, killing two people at the scene. Riyadh and a woman in the Tesla were hospitalized with non-life-threatening injuries. The victims' families have filed separate lawsuits against both Tesla and Riyadh. And coming up, an athlete advocacy group is urging competitors to stay silent about China's human rights abuses while at the Winter Games. They say it's for the sake of the athlete's personal safety. And pandemic restrictions are coming to an end in England. The government's no longer asking people to work from home. And starting next week, they won't need to wear face masks or show COVID-19 passes. Find out more in just a moment here on NTD News. An athlete advocacy group has a message for Olympic competitors. Stay silent about China's human rights abuses while at the Winter Games. The group says it's for the sake of their personal safety. Athletes are being warned not to eat Chinese meat products during the Beijing Winter Olympics. Just weeks before the Games, the World Anti-Doping Agency, or WADA, cautioned that meat in China may be contaminated by the banned steroid clenbuterol. WADA said meat in China has been known to contain low levels of the substance, which would give a positive result in tests for performance-enhancing drugs. The U.S. doesn't allow drug use in animal products, but the practice is common in China. WADA warned athletes heading to Beijing to use extreme caution. In 2011, the organization said in a statement that contaminated food could create low levels of clenbuterol in athletes' test samples. This year's statement came after the German National Anti-Doping Agency warned its athletes to avoid Chinese meat at all costs. WADA says meals within the athlete's village are properly sourced and okay to eat. The Chinese Foreign Ministry has not yet commented, but the communist regime's media outlet Global Times says the accusation is a smear from anti-China forces, claiming that, quote, Chinese meat is safer than America's. However, some internal documents from China suggest the concerns are highly plausible. A notice from the Agricultural Bureau of Xi'an City last month urged officials to control any excessive use of clenbuterol in feeding livestock and poultry. And this instruction exclusively referred to companies offering meat products to the games. China listed clenbuterol as a banned drug some 20 years ago, but it appears the legislation may not have had the intended effect.
Beijing says it will not sell tickets for the Winter Olympics to the general public. Instead, authorities will give tickets to selected groups of mainland Chinese residents. The Winter Games organizer says the move aims to protect the health and safety of Olympic personnel and spectators. The measure comes after the latest variant of the CCP virus, which causes COVID-19, emerged in China. The variant Omicron is more contagious and highly transmissible. So far, it has spread to over 14 Chinese provinces, and that includes big cities like Beijing, Shanghai, Tianjin and Shenzhen. To prevent virus flare-ups during the Winter Games, Beijing has laid out a plan. Starting next week, all those that enter China's Olympic venues are not allowed to leave. That's until they leave the country. Once inside, they'll be blocked from contact with the general public. All activities must take place inside what's become known as the Olympic isolation bubble. And all foreign athletes, plus their support staff, will only be allowed to move between locations inside the bubble via certain vehicles. The measures will impact over 5,000 people, including foreign athletes and Chinese staffers. When the U.S. announced a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics last month, it pointed to human rights abuses in China as the reason, including Beijing's suppression of Uyghurs in the Xinjiang region. And Beijing, as usual, denied any accusation of this kind. But this is not the only way the communist regime tries to whitewash itself. It seems to be buying influence on social media, too. Recently, a large number of zombie accounts appeared on Twitter and all used the same script to deny accusations of human rights abuses in Xinjiang, a region in China's northwest. Most of these accounts use English names, and their ID seems to be part of their Twitter handle. And many of the accounts are new. They have no followers, and they follow no one. Typical features of zombie accounts. The tweet template begins, I grew up in Xinjiang, and accuses the U.S. and other countries of creating lies about human rights abuses to hurt China. The tweet then links to a report of a Chinese Communist Party media's article. This article is an interview with a person from Xinjiang who says they've been living in the United Arab Emirates for 15 years. The linked website Oceannet.com says on its official page that it is a Paris-based Chinese language outlet. However, internet user tests show its server is in California, and the website domain's internet cache protocol was filed in Beijing. The Chinese Communist regime invests a lot in influencing opinions. Late last month, the New York Times published an investigative report titled Buying Influence, How China Manipulates Facebook and Twitter. It detailed how Beijing floods social media platforms worldwide with fake accounts made by private contractors as its campaign of social media manipulation. Beijing is set to host the Winter Olympics in three weeks and athletes traveling there have received a warning from rights advocacy groups. Do not talk about human rights issues while in China. One of the groups that gave the warning explains their reason. Which is absolutely ridiculous that we're telling athletes to be quiet and, and to leave and to get home. And the reason being is Rule 50. Rule 50 of the Olympic Charter punishes athletes for demonstrating at Olympic venues. The International Olympic Committee, or IOC, loosened up the rule last year. It says athletes are allowed to express their viewpoints in certain situations, like press conferences or team meetings. We know the, the human rights record and, and the, freedom, the, the allowance of freedom of expression in China. So there's really not much protection that we believe that's going to be afforded to athletes. And the IOC has not come out proactively to indicate that we will protect and safe, make sure everyone is safe that decides to speak up. He says athletes can use their voices when they get home. And that's a sad statement that we have to say that. A Human Rights Watch researcher points to a recent example. However, look at the Peng Shuai case. She made one post on the Chinese social media alleging sexual assault against a, you know, a retired high-level Chinese official. Look at what happened. She has been, you know, her voice has been entirely wiped off the Chinese internet. Peng Shuai is one of China's biggest sports stars. She was a world number one in tennis doubles. Last year, Peng made a sexual assault allegation against a former top official on social media. Her post was taken down within 20 minutes, and any related discussion was banned on the Chinese internet. Peng herself also disappeared from public view for a period of time. 
At the time, both the White House and the European Union questioned Beijing on her whereabouts. We are deeply concerned by reports that Peng Shui appears to be missing after accusing a former PRC senior official of sexual assault. Aside from Peng's example, the human rights researcher Wang Yaqiu says Chinese laws can be very vague when prosecuting people's free speech. You can be charged with picking quarrels and provoking trouble for speaking up. You can be charged by, uh, for inciting subversion. So there are all kinds of crimes can be leveled for your peaceful, critical uh, comments. Wang also mentioned China has a conviction rate of over 99 percent. And these are indicators of what could happen to foreign athletes if they speak up. England will soon see the end to most of the remaining COVID-19 restrictions. The government is no longer asking people to work from home. And from next Thursday, people won't need to wear face masks or show COVID passes. Prime Minister Boris Johnson said the government will trust people to make their own decisions and signals his intention to treat COVID like the flu. We hear more from NTD's Eddie Aitken. Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced the end of Plan B measures aimed at tackling the spread of COVID-19 in England. He said on Wednesday this is due to the booster campaign and the public's response to the restrictions. Today's latest ONS data show clearly that infection levels are falling in England. And while there are some places where cases are likely to continue rising, including in primary schools, our scientists believe it is likely that the Omicron wave has now peaked nationally. The Prime Minister said that from this week the government will no longer advise people to work from home. And from Thursday next week, mandatory Covid passes will end. Compulsory face masks will be scrapped in classrooms starting this Thursday. And from next week, the government will no longer make people wear them anywhere in England. In the country at large, we will continue to suggest the use of face coverings in enclosed or crowded spaces, particularly when you come into contact with people you don't normally meet. But we will trust the judgment of the British people and no longer criminalise anyone who chooses not to wear one. The Prime Minister said the requirement to self-isolate for those who have tested positive will be allowed to lapse when it expires in late March. He said if the data allows, the date could be brought forward. And there will soon come a time when we can remove the legal requirement to self-isolate altogether, just as we don't place legal obligations on people to isolate if they have flu. The announcement comes after COVID infection levels fell in most parts of the UK for the first time since early December. The Prime Minister warned that the pandemic is not over. But to make that possible, we must all remain cautious during these last weeks of winter. When there are still over 16,000 people in hospital in England alone. The bonfire of COVID regulations could help appease the Prime Minister's critics from his own party at a time when he is under pressure over Downing Street parties. Eddie Aitken, NTD News. Coming up, a company in California is collecting donations for Tonga. The vessel leaves Friday, but people can still donate for future trips. And flying is a mission impossible for most people, yet dozens of physically disabled people managed to fly up in the air with some special help. More when we return with NTD News. Northern California company is accepting donations to help those in Tonga after a massive underwater volcano erupted. NTD's Eileen Ang hears more from the operations manager. SF Enterprises, an Oakland-based family-run business of 37 years, specializes in shipping to the South Pacific Islands, including Tonga. After a massive volcanic eruption on January 14th, the company is looking to provide aid to the island nation. We've just been taking a lot of water because we know the water supply is going to be completely gone. There's no municipal water in Donga. They de depend on rainwater. And so I'm sure all the tanks are filled with debris and ash. And um, so if anything, anyone, anyone that calls to want to try to help, we just tell them water. That's what we could do right now. Langi Pahulu said she and all the staff have family in Tonga. 
but they lost communication last Friday night. It definitely hits close to home. I mean, we're all we're all just trying to do it day by day and try not to be so sad about the whole situation because without having contact, we really don't know what the direct need is. A vessel will leave on Friday and it takes four to five weeks to get there. Those who missed their chance to donate this time can still donate for the next vessel with a cutoff date on February 2nd. Eileen Ang, NTD News, California. A dream come true. Being bound to a wheelchair is not stopping dozens of disabled people from getting up and into the air. We bring you more from a latest event in Spain. Buckle up, off the wheelchair and into the air. 20 people with disabilities flew in a wind tunnel in Empuria Bravia, Spain. For some, it's an experience they've never imagined. An incredible adrenaline rush that I hadn't felt in ages. All this thanks to a prosthesis attached to their legs and instructors who hold them as they're suspended in the air. What those prostheses do is help people keep their legs stable, straight and rigid in order to be able to fly correctly, like someone whose limbs are fully functional. The Wednesday event was part of hashtag WindTunnelHandify 2021. It's supported by the European Commission and aims to promote indoor skydiving among those physically impaired. Very good. Brilliant. A great sensation of freedom. Brilliant. I'd do it again. Reminiscent of the excitement from his active career, Joel Camlada says he wants to do it again. When I was a PE teacher, the activities I did provided this, and I hadn't had that feeling in a long time. Nine wind tunnels are participating in the initiative, which will culminate in May with a competition in Marseille, France. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.